What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez. I'm Nathaniel Wilson. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's our episode 50 video game awards triple triple host threat special spectacular episode what welcome to the podcast everybody how's everybody doing yeah i'm uh doing pretty well as we speak both noah and i have cookie dough prepped what kind of cookie dough do you have on your end noah I'm making some uh, ginger snaps. It's a recipe that I haven't made before. And I went to Publix to buy molasses for them. And I had to ask a man at Publix where the molasses was because I couldn't find it. So. I'm also making a gingerbread cookie. It is a gingerbread latte cookie. Um, I Ooh. screenshotted the recipe from the New York Times so I wouldn't have to refer back to it while they're striking. Hell yeah. Um, hell yeah. We do not cross the picket line even for cookie week. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, so this supposed to be gingerbread with espresso. So I'm excited hmm. to see. The batter tastes kind of bitter, but then like sweet and gingerbready at the end. So I'm a little apprehensive. It's definitely an experiment, but we'll see. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, Nathaniel, welcome back to the show. It's been a second since you've been here. It has. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, it, uh, it felt appropriate, not only with like, there was a shitload of video game news last week. The Game Awards happened on top of all that, and also this is our 50th episode in the podcast feed, so it felt like it felt like a good time to have another voice on this uh, on this feed for the momentous occasion of episode 50, so glad to have you back. Thanks. That's so real. Tori, do you want to just uh, jump right in with some news about some additional unionization efforts that are going on at uh, Microsoft slash however many different parent companies are now yeah. invested with so that. you know it started with ravensoft qa testers and now mm -hmm. there's been more um unionization efforts at microsoft slash activision slash blizzard slash bethesda slash um every other game studio that will probably be required acquired in the world underneath them at some point i'm really glad to see this i was listening to waypoint earlier today and uh, mm -hmm. one of them was like how much of this is just microsoft going with it so they, they don't get cracked down on by like the yeah. government <laughs> yeah. uh, regulations They're like oh fine you want you didn't fuck it like just just get yeah. the heat off us so it's probably probably just that but it's always good to see um, no, because that's a that's another fun and interesting piece of this is the the latest group that are unionizing our QA workers at Zenimax Media, who mm -hmm. are like the the Bethesda chunk. That's like their parent. Zenimax is the parent company of Bethesda, and this is all owned by Activision Blizzard. No, this is all owned by Microsoft. So now they're all part of the same like stew and. While this is all going on, last week it broke that the FTC is going to challenge Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And one of the main things that they're citing in this potentially being like a monopoly type thing is Starfield, the next game from Bethesda. So wow. it's a very fun. It's all very fun the way it's all playing together. The, the impact like, uh, of most anticipated game of the year award. Um, oh, is that? Did it win that at the Game Awards? I thought it, I think I thought it was Zelda nominated. Won. It was nominated for it at one there we point. Go. There but we it's just—it's funny to see Starfield be mentioned in like a government document. Like, yeah, if there's gonna be like a hearing on this, like, I, I cannot wait to go on go on C-SPAN and just hear like <laughs> Mitch McConnell be like Starfield of Bethesda video game. Um, 
<laughs> it wouldn't be Mitch McConnell. But like, it would not be Mitch McConnell. It would not but be, the, the image is funny enough. So yeah, yeah it works out just fine. The vibes, you know. And yeah, this is really interesting to see. Um, and it's also interesting that on top of all of this stuff happening, they're also like, hey, Nintendo, would you like Call of Duty games? Hey, Sony, would you also like some Call of Duty games? Like this, I think that's also another effort to be like, hey, listen, like we are, get off our backs. Like, look, we're giving out Call of Duty. Who who wants to play a Modern Warfare on the Switch? Um, absolutely fucking busted. Um, look how much of a monopoly we're we're not. There's also like. <laughs> There's also like no universe where Warzone can come to the Switch, right? Like there's Yeah, that's there's okay. Like... <laughs> that's the other thing I brought up to you about this. Cause I was like, first of all, who the fuck is playing Call of Duty on the Switch? Second of all, even if you really wanted to, could the hardware handle it? And I was like, I was kind of like conspiracizing here. I was like, maybe the one silver lining of all this is that there's an implication here that they have hardware that could be able to handle this that has not been revealed yet like oh they have a whole console up their sleeve that we just don't know about yet but this is like one of the things that might be featured on it i don't know but yeah i i don't really see i mean the switch has issues running like ps3 games um so i don't i don't really see what is the appeal here cloud gaming maybe yeah i think like xbox is so into the cloud gaming thing and so you could see it being that that they push, like you saw at the Game Awards, like the Samsung and Xbox crossover, where they're yeah. like, you don't need an Xbox to play games. Oh, um, yeah. I feel like there's nothing that the Xbox higher ups like more than to answer the question of like, could you guys make Call of Duty Xbox exclusive if you wanted to? And they're like, well, we could if we wanted to, but we're not going to. Yeah. And it's it's like ominous at this point. It's like, I don't know. You wonder if there's new Nintendo hardware or if they'll just do a botched version of it and yeah. make some bread, you know? Granted, for what it's worth, the the Xbox promise the Microsoft promise was that they are looking to bring Call of Duty to the Switch within the next 10 years. And the the Nintendo line over the course of the last like year or two has been that the Switch is like roughly halfway through its lifespan. And if that console came out in 2017, I would say by their metric, maybe it has like a good three, four years left in it. So like over the course of the next 10 years, I can see that being, I can see that meaning like, it, ideally, this will come to whatever thing Nintendo does next. But I have a real hard time imagining a world where Nintendo actually tries to deviate that much with their next console. Considering like, like the 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 buy-in rate for the Switch was so high, and it also was just like such a revelation for like the way they structure their game development studio since they used to have to divide it between the portable and the home console divisions being able to meld those together means more first party games coming out constantly like maybe it's just like switch 2 or switch pro that people have been rumoring was going to come out for the last four years yeah and the thing is like I feel like with the Switch, they really stepped back from trying to challenge PlayStation and Microsoft like in their realm. Yeah. And they would have to take such a big step up for them to be able to challenge. And you see like even with the Xbox Series S, like 
there were reports that game developers are like, we can't make AAA games that play on this. Yeah. And so Xbox has to scrap its other promise that's saying like every next gen game will be able to work on this. And so for Nintendo to like release the Switch and be like, we're making our own thing with our own type of games. And then with the next one be like, actually, we're going to try to do AAA. Yeah. seems like no. I don't know. It's a it's an interesting period here for Microsoft and all of its subsidiaries, especially since depending on how the FTC rules, like they might not have these companies as their subsidiaries a year from now. So I don't know. It's it's fun to keep an eye on. And another like fun element of all of the unionization efforts too is that it's just becoming so much more mainstream and so much more talked about elsewhere. The uh, the big thing this past week was that Polygon put out this really great article called The Rise of the G- Video Game Union, but the the article itself is a zine. And so they've posted a zine on their website and the idea is that you, you know, you print out this zine that is all about video game unions and how they get formed and how they can benefit people and what that looks like and you just disseminate it out to people and it's like it's really it 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 doesn't seem like it necessarily on its face but it's like really kind of radical for a a video game news website to be taking such a hard positive stance on this to a point where it's like hey we want you to print this out and disseminate it out there like i thought that was super super cool yeah it's super cool i really like um like zines having a digital impact i think that makes me really happy having done college radio with you both which also featured like zine making i'm always happy to see zines um and i hope we see more unions next year that is my that is my christmas (laughs) wish um Let's see what else. What else we have on here? Um, oh wait, hold on. Speaking of, before we move on completely from unions, did you hear at the Game Awards? It sounds like this hasn't been a hundred percent figured out. Here we go. So at the Game Awards, I'm pulling this article from thegamer.com. Uh, supposedly, an individual who is a QA analyst with Sony Santa Monica says that when they were on their way into the Game Awards. They were wearing a pin that was like pro-union. I I don't know what the pin exactly said. I didn't dig that deep. And when they were on their way inside, security asked them to take the pin off. And so they took to Twitter and they were like, hey, Game Awards, what the hell is this? Jeff Keighley, what the hell is this? And the, the Game Awards has since issued an official statement and said that they were not involved in that and they were not aware of any of that and they had no idea. But there there is something to be said for the fact that like, two years in now to all of these huge unionization efforts in the video games industry and Jeff Keighley and the people who like run the game awards have not taken just the the easiest possible thing they could do that would get them so much goodwill and just go up on stage and say something like hey we support unionization efforts of these companies remember like, the game awards so last easy. year when Jeff Keighley like subtweeted Activision Blizzard I was yeah, just but in like the most this. lame corporate friendly like, way imaginable. We stand yeah. against harassment. Yes. Yes. Very bold, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that was. I was just. I was comparing this year's Game Awards to last year because I remember last year's pretty clearly. The music of this year was not it. Hosier. I've seen Hosier live. Mm-hmm. He was really good when I saw him in Orlando. He sounded like he needed a nap, or that okay. he'd just woken up from a nap. 
Which, to be fair, he, like, lives in the woods and probably naps a lot anyway. Probably. But, um, <laughs> it was just, like, I think the game really, like, the game announcements this year were good, but the the overall entertainment was not as bopping. Yeah. I don't know. It was it was a little more sleepy. But anyway, we'll get we'll get to the game awards at a later we'll time. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um Nathaniel, what the heck is this stuff about uh, Epic Games and something to do with Fortnite? Yeah, so I saw this on Twitter and I guess there is an artist. Do you want to can you find her Twitter at real quick so we can say it? Yeah. I don't okay. have it in in the doc. So there's this artist and um she got an offer to do an illustration for Fortnite, and um, I'm guessing it's like one of the loading screen illustrations, because like where else in that game are there illustrations? Yeah. Um, but Epic Games offered her three grand, and she was pretty much like, "Fuck no! Yeah, you guys make millions of dollars." Um, they offered her three grand for the illustration and for the copyright. And so they would completely own it. She wouldn't be able to sell it ever again or make any more money off it. And um, they were like, fuck no. And then people were complaining about Epic Games on Twitter. And I think, like, that's cool. And people should complain about Epic Games and all their money on Twitter. Yeah, the the artist who posted about this, I'll, I'll link this Kotaku article in the description where they talk about it. But their name is Deb J.J. Lee. That's at J-D-E-B-B-I-E-L on Twitter. And they tweeted, I think it's hilarious that Fortnite, which earned $6 billion in revenue in 2021, asked me to do an il- entire illustration with all copyright for $3,000. <laughs> and you're right. People should complain about Tencent. Tencent, not Tencent. People should complain about Epic because it's like a huge video game company that is trying to posture itself as like this, this like cool ragtag company that's taken on the big bad guys like Apple and that kind of thing. when. One of their majority stakeholders is Tencent, which is another just like enormous fucking company. Like they they are not the underdog. They are not they are not the little guy. They they made so 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 much money. They make money hand over fist with Fortnite alone. Like yeah, it's people should be complaining about Epic, but I thought that yeah. was pretty funny. Three K for the arts. That's just nuts. I know, and they make it's just ridiculous. They make like fucking insane money and. Isn't yeah? I'm just thinking about all the games that Epic Games makes. I mean, Fall Guys, right? Not correct. Yeah, Fall Guys. Yeah, Fall Guys, Rocket League, like yeah. just so fucking many games that are so popular, particularly in the esports space. And like, I was actually reading their DMs, um, Deb JJ Lee's DMs, because um, apparently they were talking to other artists who have had similar experiences with Epic Games, and mm-hmm. some of the other artists they talked to said that they were offering like $2,000 or $2,500 for people to make entire character concepts oh my for God. Fortnite and other games. And it's like the amount of labor it takes to create a character and a backstory and design it. And you're like, how's 2,000 smackaroons sound? That's God. abysmal. And then they retain the rights at the yeah. end of that. So it's it, it's like bad. It's so many angles. Hmm. That's really interesting. That that sheds a lot of fat light on the fact that there is so much like original art and original character designs in Fortnite that I've always wondered about. Because like every battle pass that comes out has like Nathaniel, what was that last one that was like 
spider gwen at the top and that was like the big one but like everything underneath that was an original character and some of the original character designs are like really cool too yeah and then also like every time that there's a character in the battle pass they'll put like one of those illustrations and they'll give you a loading screen illustration yeah and so there are like so there's like a boundless amount of these illustrations that exist inside of the game that sucks people should pay artists which i don't think is a particularly hot take but I can I can feel us itching wanting to talk about the game awards. So before we move on to talking about the game awards, can we just let's make a couple of quick hits here? Um first, yeah. <laughs> the the guy who directed Days Gone, I don't give a shit enough about this to even Google what his name was because I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, he has like Dave Energy. Dave Energy, yeah. Yeah. Days Gone was that PlayStation exclusive motorcycle zombie game that came out remember this was isn't this the one they showed off at e3 that one year that had like all the hordes of zombies chasing you there's been several zombie years there's been exactly yeah there's been walking dead zombie years there's been like space apocalypse zombie years yes last of us zombie years yeah yeah and i think days gone came out like right after like all the heat was on the last of us so it was like everybody was like please we need something other than zombies and so uh the game reviewed pretty mid just because of like zombie saturation and like relatively poor performance on some of the consoles and like kind of repetitive gameplay. And the director of the game said that people didn't like it because it had, quote, woke reviewers who couldn't handle a gruff white biker looking at his date's ass. And that's true. That's so true, actually. All the woke video game reviewers. Yeah, not because your game runs like ass, but no, it was because it was it was because of the woke game reviewers. Uh, but since then, the there was a statement that was made by the rest of the team that worked on this, and it was like a joint statement that was like, "Hey, we're the team that worked on this, and we disavow this statement. We uh we actually don't think it was because the reporters at Kotaku are woke or whatever the fuck." So that's that. Um, Tori, I saw there was some shit going on at IGN. It looks like. Yeah, IGN, it's just more cost-cutting measures. Um, there's also been some layoffs at Vice. There's been some layoffs, I mean, in the broader world of journalism at Gannett and USA Today. It's just it's just a rough one. Yeah. It's just a yeah, rough I, one. The IGN one was rough because I saw the announcement came, like, days, like, the day before the Game Awards. And it was, like, yeah. all, all of gamer, all of the gamer space was excited about, like, world premieres and announcements and shit. And here we have, like, Oh, and by the way, a bunch of people are out of jobs and right before the holidays, too. Like, really, really sucks. Uh, all three of us work in media to some degree, and we can all relate that this shit is tenuous as hell. And it's it's really scary that at any minute, these big companies could be like, oopsie, cost cutting. Maybe we're going into a recession. So, Yeah, it sucks. And I just, it's it feels so sadistic to me to do layoffs this close to the holidays yeah you know and it's just like they just don't give a shit about about people and that also at the same time uh as um the game awards future class reportedly did not include really any games journalists which it says a lot about the future of the profession at least in my opinion and probably in the opinion of people in that profession yeah um so yeah it's not it's not looking great fam um i don't know if we've i don't know if we've ever really talked about this have has anyone here like did anyone here at any point think like oh yeah i want to do games journalism like did either of you guys ever feel that way no 
Yeah. Okay. That's fair. It's yeah. I just I don't know. Maybe it's because we were teenagers, the time of like Gamergate and shit. But like, yeah, the vitriol you get for like the stupidest shit in games journalism. Like I've just noticed yeah. like. Someone will be like, I didn't really like the ending of Bayonetta 3, and it becomes, like, yeah. days-long harassment in discourse, and it's just, like, it just seems like not, not the great, the best beat there is. Like, yeah. if someone's gonna jump on my ass for having a bad opinion, I feel like it should be about something that matters. <laughs> not to say that video games don't matter. I do love them. We have a show. Yeah. However, like, people are not gonna die because you disagreed on them with their opinion of Bayonetta 3. Yeah. No, I don't know if you saw in the lead up to the Game Awards, uh, Imran Khan, who I don't know where Imran Khan is at nowadays. He used to be at Fanbyte. His Twitter says that he is the head PR producer at My Dearest. I don't know what that is, but I'm glad he's got a job. Um, he made some like sideways comments about the new Sonic game not being good in the lead up to the Game Awards and got barraged by so many people in his Twitter comments that were just like DMing him gore and shit. And like posting death threats and this shit on Twitter, all because he disagreed with them on how the new Sonic game was, and he locked his Twitter account and was like, "I'm not, I'm not playing with this shit anymore." Like, I'm a, I'm a relatively prominent games journalist, and I'm locking my Twitter account because I can't deal with the harassment from the Sonic community. Like, people need to just calm the fuck down. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. There was definitely like a period where I was like, games journalism could be cool. But I think a lot of games journalism has a similar problem that I think a lot of music journalism has, where it's like writers have a hard time separating their like adoration for certain things from their writing, which is not necessarily bad given some things. But you you tread a really fine line of like, is what I'm writing just an advertisement? Am I just doing free ads for a company? And I think that's I like I don't know what the answer to that is especially after the game awards which was like just one big fucking 3 hour long ad but i don't know what the answer is but i think a lot of a lot of games journalism when it's not done well skews a little too close to like a new release date was announced for this game check out all the cool new information about this game when it's like that's nintendo's job to do like you don't have to worry about that yeah i i can totally see that um and as someone who has a communications degree, which I took a lot of PR classes, like mm-hmm. game journalism, a lot of it to me um, was just a lot of good games analysis journalism. But there's oh, like absolutely. The, the stuff that you're talking about is essentially repackaging press releases, yeah. which I wrote a lot of in college. And it is exactly that. It's like when the local TV station just like reposts a press release from the sheriff's office and like doesn't doesn't do anything else doesn't do any additional asking anybody anything any additional reporting yeah 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 that's what i do at work <laughs> let's go baby let's fucking I, go I, che- I check the email and i say where's the press releases <laughs> let me read these um a couple more quick hit things before we move on the the guy who made Stardew Valley, who goes by the the like artist name, Twitter name, whatever elsewhere, of Concerned Ape, completely impromptu made a music video for the Always track Many Mirrors off of their, their latest album, Blue Rev. I just thought this was really funny. He says on Twitter, some of the band members 
are Stardew Valley fans and we started talking, I got an early listen to their new album and the song Many Mirrors resonated with me. And they just like made a music video in the Stardew Valley looking engine and like in the Stardew Valley looking art style. And it's it's really cool. I think it's really cute. I I was not expecting that crossover to happen, but I thought that was neat. And also Blue Rev Slaps, really good album if either of you guys haven't listened to it yet. But um I have not, but I do like always. So yeah, I was, it's on my I was list. A big always head in college. The name Concerned Ape is giving NFT. It does give oh, NFT. It does no. give NFT. Nathaniel. <laughs> um, I don't la- like that. Last quick hit thing I wanted to shout out was that the game Dwarf Fortress finally got its real Steam release. So this was um this is a game that has been floating around online for like a decade now or something crazy, potentially longer. It's it's a game that is just as much a procedural world generator as it is a game to play. It's been around as freeware online in some stage or another since 2002, and it was always intended to be free, but the the dev behind it, who's, this is, uh, the two folks who make it, their names are Tarn and Zach Adams. The, the plan was never to, like, charge people for it, but the the issue came to light that they were having one of the creators was having like medical issues and needed to pay hospital bills and was like i need to monetize this in some way shape or form and so what they did was repackage dwarf fortress a game that is like famously inscrutable into a much more digestible package in a in a much more refined and easier to get into package and put it on steam for 20 bucks and it's making money hand over fist. Like two guys have been working on this for 20 years and it was at the top of all of the Steam releases for the past week. So that's really cool. It's it's definitely something I want to check out. I don't know if have either of you ever messed with Dwarf Fortress at all? No, I haven't. So there are like there's like a whole subgenre of YouTube video where it's people will just like document their Dwarf Fortress worlds and be like this is the story of Krug, the dwarf, and the thousands of dwarfs that come that came after him in this dwarf lineage. And it used to be, I briefly downloaded it and couldn't wrap my head around it a few years ago. It was like you, you basically had to set it up and you told your PC, hey, I create a world that is 2,000 years old. And then you just had to let your PC sit there and spin up making jet engine noises as like every element of your computer was dedicated towards writing like this Tolkien-esque mythology randomly generated. <laughs> so Yeah. Can I just read out loud a tweet I just saw when I put in Dwarf Fortress into the search bar of Twitter? Please. Acor- according to Steam Workshop, the sixth most popular Dwarf Fortress mod at the moment is a mod that lets you milk gorillas called, quote, milkable gorillas. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. Some That's cool. Dwarf Fortress fact. So yeah, download Dwarf Fortress, give them money. They, they're they like not a shitty, evil, dystopian company. They're just like two dudes who are doing good shit. So give them money. Uh, I hope we don't get milkshake ducked, but it's been long enough that they've been popular that I don't think we'll get milkshake ducked. Wait, can I do one, can I do one more quick hitter? Please, please. Okay. So I play Ultimate Frisbee, and so there in the United States, there are a few different like semi-pro Ultimate Frisbee leagues, okay. and one of them is called the AUDL. It's the American Ultimate Disc League. It's men's. It's semi-pro. The dudes playing in it 
get paid like $50 a season nice. and then they get their travel reimbursed, right? And so I have friends who do this because there was a team in Florida that now no longer exists. Okay. So the AUDL decided that they wanted to get into the video game industry by making an AUDL video game. Okay. And so it got announced like a minute ago as AUDL 22. Oh, wow. And then Who's they making did it? like a I, – I don't know. Huh. Um, and I like they might be doing it themselves because they like did a GoFundMe and I remember like they posted about it and then I don't think it got enough money and so it kind of went away for a little bit. And then like maybe there were announcements that I missed, but I just saw like last month they were like the AUDL closed beta is coming out on Black Friday. Oh, wow. And so it's like, okay, cool. Like me and my friends were like, okay, let's get this. But then it comes out only on Steam and it's 30 bucks to play mm. the closed beta. Mm. And there had been there had been like some gameplay footage released. And it, like the only way I can describe it is think of how like FIFA 12 would have looked on iOS. Ooh. Ooh. Is how this game... <laughs> Yeah. And so it's like Frisbee video game. They they said like for $30, the first 1,000 people who buy this are going to get to play the closed beta. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm looking at this image. <laughs> yeah. No, like there's a YouTube video that you guys should watch. I will, I will send it and we will put it in the podcast description if people want to have a good laugh and see like a dog shit video game yeah. and they're selling it for 30 bucks to play the beta and then they're like whenever it releases your beta will turn into a full copy and so it's like this game is out here i've watched people play it on youtube it looks incredibly hard to make anything actually happen and yeah. it looks really bad but i have friends who are in it Oh, wow. Because I guess whenever whenever they sign their contracts, they signed away their whatever name image yeah. likeness. And so like oh, I like have they're in. friends. Like they're in, in the game. Yeah. I have like friends who play in the ADL and so they're in the video <laughs> game. And so like they have ratings. I don't I don't know if they're like they didn't obviously do anything like character scans. Mm -hmm. And so I'm guessing everyone just kind of looks the same, maybe different like racially. But <laughs> yeah, it looks horrible. Like it's. It's funny. It was funny, but now it's just yeah. Too I, real. I sent and a picture, Noah, in our group chat. No, I, I'm looking. So I'm looking on the website. It right does now. look like FIFA 12. That is an incredibly yeah. accurate descriptor for I'm, iOS. For like iOS. not on an Xbox. Like it looks like <laughs> FIFA on an iPhone 6s. So the the press release on their website. This is AUDL video game or the the AUDL .com. They're talking about it. This is actually a press release from last year. It says that, I guess, the the company that announced the Kickstarter, this is called Util UltiX Technology, paired up with, quote-unquote, Firebrand and Psychohound, two industry veteran gaming studios, which, first thing, Firebrand and Psychohound both sound like Metal Gear Solid bosses. Uh, I just want to throw that one out there. But So I pulled up the web pages for Firebrand and Psychohound, Psychohound is a veteran game studio in that they have one other game called Rough and Tumble, which looks like a Gang Beasts ripoff that's only available. Oh, it's not even out yet. It's on Steam and it's coming soon. So I'm not really sure if we can call them a veteran, 
and firebrand games looks like they mostly traffic in like uh licensed games like i'm seeing a lot of cartoon network i'm seeing they do a lot of racing games they did the the movie adaptation for cars 2 for the 3ds and the ds they did something called fast and the furious showdown for windows 3ds ps3 wii u and xbox 360 some nascar games Trackmania DS in 2008. So, like, I I think calling these studios veteran studios is very, very generous. But, uh, yeah, this reminds me so much of I was on the PlayStation Store recently looking through stuff that was on sale, and I stumbled across Cricket 22. And the, the thumbnail for the game, if you've never seen this, makes it look identical to the rest of the EA developed sports games. But when you click on it, it becomes very clear very fast that this was not an EA developed sports yeah, game. Yeah, this is this is not Madden. This is some budget shit because like the audience for cricket is not the same as it is for like FIFA. When when will they make a pickleball game? When will <laughs> EA step up and finally make a pickleball game? Like the thing is that like yes the audience is not as big for cricket or like the rugby video games mm-hmm. or like the indoor football league video games as it is for like soccer and basketball but if we're comparing like the audience for cricket to the audience for ultimate frisbee yes like cricket is the biggest sport in all of history of time yeah that's fair yeah <laughs> fucking colonialism like, yeah like they tried to do this thing where they were like, only the first 1,000 people will get access to this beta. And it's like still for sale. You can still buy it. Oh, no. <laughs> That's rough. Last really, I checked, really okay. overplaying their hand there. Damn. It should have been like the first 50. I think that probably would have been a better number to start with. Holy shit. All right. Do we have anything else we want to talk about or do we want to jump into the Game Awards here? I think it's, I think it's Game Awards time. What was everybody's Game Awards watching experience like? Um, we we ordered pizza, and and we watched Game Awards. It was it was a night. Yeah. I will say I got a migraine during the like right before they announced Game of the Year, and yeah. I did not recover from that migraine until last night. So that was not Oof. ideal, but um, it was all right. I. I like I was mentioning earlier, I didn't like the musical performances quite as much, but there was a lot of like new game reveals that I am excited for. Yeah. Nathaniel, what do you what think, Nathaniel? Yeah. Yeah. What was your what okay. was your watch experience like? So I thought it was funny that you asked me to do this podcast because I've never watched the game awards. I had a before. feeling. Yeah, I had a feeling. I love and this. And so so you asked me to do it. And I was like, okay, I will watch the gaming awards, the game awards. And I was doing something the night that it was live. And so between yesterday and today, I have been watching it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the replay, um, there are certain parts that don't have audio, like because mm. of copyright. Oh. And so you know how... Like the obviously the game awards is one big commercial, yeah. but like you know how there are like the legitimate commercials that happen during it, yeah. Like those don't have sound, so like all the world premieres had sound, but like the commercial commercials didn't have yeah. sound. Oh, that's the Halsey performance. 
The Halsey performance did not have sound. Oh, that's rough. But the Hozier performance did. <laughs> um, yeah, I've also been watching it on 1.5 speed because I it is I so long. I wish I could have done that live. Yeah. It's like four hours long. Yeah. It's, it was like 2.49, I think, which, insane. Okay, I, I want to hear more about this. As somebody who has never watched the Game Awards before, because I've been watching the Game Awards fairly habitually like since they started doing this whole shebang, initially because I was like, oh, this sounds like a cool concept, and now because I find it to be like a, a fun, bleak spectacle to watch, like, <laughs> what was your take on the Game Awards? So I've watched like the Nintendo Directs before. Mm-hmm. And like the PlayStation version of that and the Xbox version of that. I've watched that stuff and I've heard you guys talk in the past about how like the game awards have to be worse now than they were because those things have become so prominent. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, like when I was watching it, I was just like, okay, like I didn't know who Jeff Keighley was. I was like, there are probably a bunch of memes that I am not privy to that would make this well, way more you were, enjoyable were you to privy watch. to the 20 minute speech that involved Al Pacino and Christopher Judge that just like oh went on and on going. and fucking on? on like Christopher Judge's speech is why I switched from one time speed to one and a half time yeah. speed. <laughs> and I was also... I was also spamming right key on YouTube to skip five seconds forward. The thing with that, though, is it's like the Christopher Judge speech was too long. The Al Pacino speech was too long, especially since Al Pacino got up there and was like, what's a video game? I can't read the teleprompter. Also, I didn't recognize Al Pacino when he got on stage. So a friend of mine, (laughs) I was on a Discord call with him and he was driving home. So he was like, I'm not watching. Let me know if anything interesting happens. I was like, yeah, some old guy's on stage and I missed his name card. I don't know who this is. And the old guy is still talking. The funny thing is that they trotted out Al Pacino, Al Pacino on stage, to make the exact type of speech that anyone's grandpa could have yes. made. Like, yes. I don't know about these games, but the kids seem to like them, and they this seem is, pretty yeah. cool. The Game Awards is purely. It was giving. No, go ahead. It was giving like Christopher Walken at the RNC talking to the chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that was not Christopher Walken. That was uh fucking oh. John. Uh, what the Clint Eastwood? There we go. Yeah, Christopher Walken. I don't know where he stands politically, but we have to give Clint Eastwood his due. That the, the chair talking thing was him all the way. <laughs> but the the point I was making is okay. One, the Game Awards is just how many people can Jeff Keighley get in a room now that he has some degree of like quote unquote clout and he can sort of get Al Pacino on the phone just so he can be like, "Wow, Al Pacino." Um, but, like, Christopher Judge really gave a shit. I think Christopher Judge gave more of a shit about video games as an art form and video games as something that can, like, actually make some kind of a difference and mean something to people as art, as anything, than, like, anyone else there. And it's a shame that his speech was 20 minutes long and they had to just, like, keep raising the volume on the copyright-free music they had in the background. Because, like, you listen to it and he was, like, thanking game devs for making things that have touched other people. And he was like, if you worked on a game that's here tonight, you changed somebody's life. And like, that's the spirit of what the Game Awards should be. And instead, the spirit of the Game Awards is Jeff Keighley like, whoa, another world premiere. By the way, the hottest streamer in the biz is this guy. Like, I I don't know. It's, that's kind of my take. I have a question. Please. Have the presenters of the awards at the Game Awards always been, like, 
actors that aren't really famous? Because I feel like there are famous enough people in video games that they could have famous video game people present awards. Yeah. But instead, they were like, here are actors. And it was like even weirder when they did that. And then it was the woman from Knives Out too, Glass so Onion. Weird. And then they were like, here's the person who's going to present this award. And then she was like, hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. Now let's watch a video yeah. of other people presenting the award. Yeah, and there's like, there's not a Knives Out video game. So I was very confused about that. Um, but like none of the presenters were from video games. They were all actors. Yeah. yeah. It, it it was super, uh, I, I'm, I'm not really into that. Although like I have a soft spot for Rahul Kali. I think that's how his name is pronounced. He's hot. The, First of all, he's high. I don't know who he is, but he came out. But he's he's an actor in the like the Mike Flanagan Netflix shows, like Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, where he has played a hot chef and a hot sheriff. (laughs) Um, This has been his entire characters, and he's apparently just like a big gamer and a Twitch streamer as well. So like he's like he's an actor who games. Yeah. Um. (laughs) But the other ones are just like, hey, look at this person yeah. you saw in a movie five years ago. Yeah, present and, an award. Nathaniel, yeah. to answer your question, I think it has always been that way. Like, I think there there have been ones that break that mold, like Christopher Judge presenting an award or like Troy Baker presenting an award. And like you get video games people up on that stage, like they get Hideo Kojima up on that stage. But it's... And this gets at like the core problem with the video game awards in my mind is that it it wants it posits that video games are a medium that deserve to be taken as seriously as films with the Oscars and music with the Grammys. Therefore, they should have their big night too. They need like doves and more yeah. voice actors and like things like that. Um I do think the tricky thing with that it, though is that unless you're like really into the gaming sphere, their faces are not going to be recognizable. Like, for example, if you're at the Grammys and, like, Dua Lipa presents an award, they're going to be like, oh, shit, it's Dua Lipa. But if you, like, get, I don't know, a video game voice actor, you're not going to know them unless you're, A, really into that thing, Mm -hmm. or B, they, like, do the character voice. So, or, like, the same goes for a designer or a dev. You're not going to know them, like, by face. You're going to know their work. So I don't know how well that translates I guess the the closest thing you can do is Twitch streamers. Yeah, like I guess, should we yeah. should we just yeah. get yeah just get like Hassan up there? Like I don't. But Daniel, you looked like you wanted to say something. Do you think that they have actors do it because they want it to be beautiful people? Huh. Oh, that's possible. That's possible. Uh, that's- I was thinking also that they could like get the actors who were used for body scans yeah for like human characters in really famous video games Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like norman reedus and the leia sudu yeah how her name is pronounced i think so um from death stranding which speaking of if we we want to get straight into the into the games into the games yeah because fuck Um, the awards because even the game awards Awards doesn't give a shit about the awards they are here for the the commercials we're here for the commercials um I'm just gonna go like we have some some bullet points of games that we wanted to point out. Hades two, yes, was not Holy expecting shit. that. Yeah, um, 
looks Excellent amazing. Game. Excellent fucking game. Hades. I got roasted oh. in a group chat yesterday for admitting that I had never played it. I just I couldn't believe it as like as Nathaniel, have you played Hades either? No. You guys got it. Tori, I've asked you this, Nathaniel. Were you like were you like a Percy Jackson kid at all? Were you like a Greek mythology kid? Did you get into this shit? Yeah. Yes, but now my little brothers are like went on such a big mythology kick mm-hmm. that I'm over it. See, but like Hades is cool because not only is it like some of the tightest gameplay imaginable and like a really good story and really great art, but like everyone is so unimaginably hot in that game. Like that is a game that was created for you to be like, damn, all of the gods are so hot. <laughs> and by the looks of what we saw from the Hades 2 trailer, like it looks like it's going to carry that on. It's great. But yeah, I was not expecting a second Hades so fast and I am incredibly stoked for that. Yeah. So that is happening. Um, Death Stranding 2, which the minute you say Kojima's name, people just go ape shit at these yes. words. Um, as soon as he walked on stage, I was like, right here we go here we yes. go um that has happened. anyone has anyone here played death stranding one i have watched death stranding you played but i have okay. not played it i have not played it either yeah i have not played it i watched um, death stranding be played for a brief period once and i was like also stoned a lot so like the, i feel like that that works yeah that it, it was very mesmerizing just like watching a friend of mine play it like walk in a straight line carrying six packages and i was like yeah i could get into this yeah but, uh, it, it is it is a walking simulator yeah. that is for sure and i'm gonna have to play it at some point like i'm a big like metal gear solid fan i i know death stranding is right up my alley it's just like when it came out i like wait was not is in the it place. is it not ps5 exclusive uh, Death Stranding one is not. Death Stranding two might be. I there okay. we saw quite a few games at this that were PS five exclusive. Which like as somebody who does not have a PS five, that was kind of a bummer. But it's getting to be that time though. It's yeah. like two years into the PS 5s lifespan. Yeah, you might. I I was thinking about this actually. I was I was thinking two things. I was thinking first of all, <laughs> next year thoughts. I had two thoughts. Um, my first thought was next year is going to be the year where I'm going to have to play a bunch of first or second games and series I've never played Mm -hmm. to be able to get to play the new game. So Bayonetta 3 has been on that list for me, the whole Bayonetta series. Yeah. Now Death Stranding. Now Hades. Um, so I think next year might be the year of like catching up to sequels for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this past year was like playing games I had never beaten or had always wanted to get around to beating. Hmm. Now I feel like next year will be like the catch up year. Um, despite how stacked next year is to begin yeah. with, next year is going to be fucking <clears throat> stacked. And the second thought I had, especially as we were seeing more and more PS5 exclusives, was okay, this might be the year where my friends who don't have a PS5 might have to go fuck it and like get a ps5 if they can find a ps5 if well actually they are coming back in stock i went to gamestop a couple weeks ago and yeah they had like a they had a a piece of paper taped up to the window saying like we have 20 ps5s oh wow cool so it's just the price hurdle at this point i was gonna say i haven't even remotely looked into it because i don't have five to six hundred dollars to drop on a ps5 so yeah I stopped looking into it when I bought an Xbox. I was gonna say, yeah, you jump ship and you're an Xbox guy now. So like, yeah, you're you're completely. Yeah, out of the game I mean, too. you won't get Final Fantasy 16, but like, and you'll just have to live with that, Nathaniel. 
<laughs> or you'll get it in like 10 years on Game Pass. Yeah. Just like Persona, January. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You are getting Persona, yeah. Even I want to... Nathaniel, did you see the trailer for uh, Jedi Fallen Order 2? I did. How... I remember you bounced off, even though you are like me, like a big Star Wars fan, you bounced off of Fallen Order the first time you tried to play it, right? Like, did you oh, end up getting back you... into it? I pre-ordered it. Ooh. The deluxe, the first one. Oh, okay. And it came out, and then it was hard. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't want to play anymore. And then I came back to it because... When what year did that game come out? Twenty nineteen. Yeah, it's been a few. Years. Like around Christmas I, time, yes. right? Yes. Okay, so I remember this because Jesse and I had just started dating, and like any good girlfriends, you just watch your boyfriend play a lot of video games in his dorm. <laughs> um, and this is that's just the dues you must pay. And uh, so I watched him play it, and then I mentioned because we were talking like uh, he was going to meet my parents, and we were going to like hang out over christmas break and um he mentioned like getting this game and oh like oh such and such like a star like star wars games you should get this game for them for christmas mm -hmm. so yeah i think it must have been like holiday 2019 yeah so i got this game and i didn't care about cal kestis mm -hmm. and i didn't really care about the story like i thought it looked really cool and i was like third person star wars game use the lightsaber use the force yeah. that sounds fun but i thought I, I wasn't really into how limited the force use was in that game at first, mm -hmm. how like you learn push and then way later in the game you learn pull yeah. and then way later in the game you learn this. And so I just stopped playing it. And then after I got an Xbox, um, like the next gen reskin of it oh, was on okay. Game Pass, which is why I played it. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. Like we talked about that yeah. on the on the podcast. I love that game. Yeah. It's it's so that it is a bit of a rough start, especially because like it's it's got like the Star Wars comic book energy where it's like you're mostly fighting big beasts and you're you're trying to find MacGuffins that involve this like progenitor race that have never been mentioned in any other kind of Star Wars fiction and that kind of thing. So it feels very like tangential to other important stuff that's going on, which like is good in a lot of ways. But, like, once that game ramps up, like, it does not stop. Um, how are you feeling about the second one, either of you? Like, I think it looks fucking awesome. Star Wars also loves to be like, this is really what happened between episode three and four. <laughs> and, like, we've gotten so many different stories. Yeah. And it's like, nope, this is canon yeah. of what happened. But I think it looks really cool. Mm -hmm. um, Cal Custis has a beard. Yeah. Which, like, sure, go crazy. It's because of all the twink jokes on Twitter. They gave him a beard. <laughs> they had to make him a zaddy um, now. Everyone called him a twink. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it looks cool as yeah. fuck, honestly. The the blaster. There, are, I've seen people online who have mixed feelings about that. Mm -hmm. About, like, the idea of a Jedi with a blaster. But I think, like, adding shooting to that game mm -hmm. will make it more fun. And then yeah. there was also like the whole shooting a claw and being able to zip line and like that kind of stuff is cool yeah. too. And so that was another issue I had with that game is I was never interested in exploring the worlds. Mm -hmm. 
And even this time when I went through, like I played the story mode and then I was done. Yeah. And I was like, I want more of this game, but not like I want to explore the worlds. And so like making that easier, I think is cool. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things, two of the things I was worried about when we saw the first trailer for this, I think that might've been at the last game awards was uh, one, they show that guy who's just like in a Bakta tank and I kind of got the feeling that maybe he was like a clone or a person who's been asleep or something like that. And I was really afraid, like you said, the whole like, this is what really happened. I was really worried that was going to end up being like a clone of somebody really important or that was going to end up being like Revan from Knights of the Old Republic, like some shit that like broke what was established up to now, even though like I know Disney is so much more careful about that now than like Lucasfilm used to be. And the other thing I was worried about was that, like, well, Disney's careful. I don't know. Like, you say that, yeah. but then the thing that you're describing is them just J.J. Abrams saying That's it. true. That is true. You're not wrong. Um, and it seems like, given what we've seen in the trailer, that character is just, like, a new character, which is cool. I'm all for that. I want new characters. And the other thing I was worried about was that, and there was a really good YouTube video from uh, Star Wars Explained on YouTube where they were talking about this. They were saying that, like, the structure of Fallen Order is very, like, Metroidvania, like, very Hollow Knight, very, you gain new powers to explore the world, and you have to get those powers to unlock new areas, but, like, given that unlocking the Force powers was so tied to the story, it would not make sense for them to Metroid it at the beginning of the game, and Cal, like, forgets how to Force push. Like, it would not make sense. So I think adding in the blaster, adding in, like, what looks like animal mounts, and maybe new lightsaber stances and that kind of thing like that makes it that makes it so that they can still give you new things to get and new ways to traverse the world without having to be like Cal hit his head really hard and forgot how to force push which like every metroid game starts with like Samus's yeah. suit got hurt and she lost the ability to use missiles so it would not have made sense and I'm glad that they're not trying to find a way to do that so yeah, I, I gotta be honest, I'm not really into these types of games. I don't yeah. know, it just has ever appealed to me. Mm -hmm. um, even though I do enjoy watching people play them. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I do like seeing how the worlds are explored. And I do think the blaster is a lot of fun. I just like things yeah. that go pew pew. Yes, um, I, so. I, I am not, I am unfortunately, <laughs> and I think Nathaniel, you'll probably agree with this. I'm unfortunately enough of a Star Wars fan that I will play just about any genre of video game if it's like a cool enough looking Star Wars game. Like, don't give a shit. It just so happens that like a, a Metroidvania adventure game with like Souls-like combat is just so up my alley anyway. But yeah. Yeah, and these when yeah. you say it like that, then I'm interested. Yes, that's you know what true. I mean. Yeah. It's weird. I I I enjoy like watching Star Wars, but I'm not drawn to Star Wars games mm -hmm. for some reason. I don't know. That's like a weird block in my mind. Huh. But this one looks cool. Like I do enjoy watching these games be played. I just don't know how much I would actually commit to playing them. I think for me, like, and Noah, you probably relate to this. It's like Star Wars always has been a really cool thing, but it's always felt like a really cool thing that I want to be a part of. Yeah. And so, like, that's why Star Wars games have so much appeal. Yeah. And, like, I'm at the stage of my life right now where it's, like, I don't want to spend 60 or $70 on a video game yeah. ever. Like, I'll just wait for stuff and buy it when it goes on sale. But, like, whenever Star Wars shit comes out, I'm like, okay, here's my credit card, which is such an L because, like, <laughs> that's what happened with this 
last Lego Star Wars game or I bought the deluxe and I hated it yeah. and put it down and haven't picked it back up. Damn. But you hated Lego Star Wars? I do not like yeah. the new one at all. Why? I don't. They like. I am someone who is really into Lego games. I've played a lot of them. I like the way that they look and I like the way that they feel. And to try to make this Lego Star Wars game like so much different from anything Lego games have ever done before, they like have it on the new engine. Like that different engine that they then said they will not ever use again. <laughs> the one that and they, they like made the shooting. Make, yeah. Yeah. They made the shooting into like the first person shooting. I just didn't, I, I thought it looked fine. Like the more that Lego games have moved away from here are the levels to open world, like the less I'm into them. And I just feel like there's the time that I spent playing that game. And I think I played just A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I felt like I spent so much more time navigating from the end of a level to the beginning of the next one than I did inside of levels. Mm. And so I was like, this game is just a waste of time. Damn. That's rough. Mm. That's real rough. Noah, did you ever have lightsaber toys as a kid? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. Did you have the ones that like folded into the yeah. hilt yeah, yeah, yeah. or the ones oh, that had yeah. a light? Ooh, I had, I had a combo of both, but I think I had mostly ones that folded into the hilt. Because I think those were the I've cheaper like, ones. <laughs> yes. But I've always thought that the ones that don't fold in that's just a light that turns on and off are so lame yeah yeah and like cameron monahan came out on stage after they played the world premiere for this game mm -hmm. and he had the lightsaber and he like swung it around and then he was just holding it and i was like this is lame as fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah half the appeal of being a kid was to be able to like dramatically swing it so that the the blade came out of it and like it was just like tessellating cylinders of plastic that fit into each other but it felt yeah. really cool as a kid to do that i don't know i still remember like even even when i was like i was like in my late teens when uh when the force awakens came out or like i was i was somewhere in my teens when the force awakens came out yeah and it was very it was very like otherworldly for me to be seeing star wars toys back in stores like to the extent that they were that i had not seen since the prequels were coming out and I, I like very vividly remember like picking up the plastic Kylo Ren lightsaber and like dramatically stamping my foot and like pushing the like the blade out like that the way he does in episode seven. Like that stuff's fun. I don't know. It it doesn't look like the the super crazy LED blades, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. Those are fun. Yeah, I remember because um the Force Awakens came out when I was uh like the year after my freshman year of college, okay. I think. And like, I remember when Star Wars toys were back and I have two little brothers and I was like, they're going to love this shit as much as I did. And my brothers just do not give a fuck about Star Wars. That's funny. They just could not care. Like I've tried to show them the first Star Wars movie like a bunch of times mm -hmm. and they're always just like, yeah, no. And it's like, can we watch Iron Man 2 again, actually? And it's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> they're like this disney property is boring can we watch the other disney property they're like there's not enough real bullets shooting people can we watch black panther again there's not enough cia weaponry can we watch oh my black God. panther <laughs> <laughs> other games that looked cool at the game awards uh earthblade looks fucking awesome 
Yeah, am, it does. Yeah. Um, I love to see the the team behind Celeste making yes. oh another God. game. I, Celeste is such a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, one thing I, that kind of threw me off there was that there was combat. Yes. Because yes. like the mechanics and everything were a lot like Celeste, and then you see the character like hit someone. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're you're hitting in this game. There's combat. Yeah. And the combat looks pretty um, pretty basic, like pretty mm-hmm. elementary combat. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Um, I kind of liked the jumping and exploring thing, and I wonder how much the combat will add, or if it will feel like a hindrance. Well, I was really so before Celeste. Are you familiar at all with a uh, Towerfall, the game that extremely okay games made before Celeste? No. So before Celeste came out, the previous game that extremely okay games made was called Towerfall. And this was like not exploration story driven. This was just like a arcadey multiplayer game that you played couch co-op with your friends. And it was the same jump mechanic of Celeste. So it was like the jump once and then press it again, which is like totally borrowed from Melee. Like they they fully recognize that. But um, it was that, but it was a bow and arrow game. So the whole thing was that you have like a limited number of arrows and you're firing your arrows at other people and at monsters and like trying to clear arcadey challenges in these really small spaces. And so I have been hoping and praying that the next game they made would combine the level exploration of Celeste with that like maybe not necessarily combat. But that like way of thinking about things is it, sort of combatively of Towerfall. And it looks like it's not going to be like a direct one to one, but like you do hit things and it did look like there was a projectile. And so this is not like ground they've never tread before, but like I am interested to see since like the scope of Celeste was so much bigger than Towerfall. Yeah. Like I also did get a kick out of the fact that it looks like the players double jump in this game is powered by magic rather than their mental illness. So, totally different vibes. <laughs> yeah, totally different vibes. Um, so that looks interesting. Armored Core. Yeah, um, Armored Core. Wow, that, yeah. that's interesting. I, um, I don't know I've, shit about this series. I don't know much about the series either, other than it's like mech. Mech, um, It's yeah. from Soft. I've never played any of these games. but People like, like them, yeah. I've watched enough like Souls content creators like Vatsy Vidya mm. and Iron Pineapple that like this is a game that they talk about sometimes. Um so seeing that definitely raised some eyebrows. Um and I'm not gonna lie, as soon as this game got announced, my first reaction was, okay, I need to look up some video essays about this series first. Yes, smart. Um, so it's beautiful though. It looks really cool. Um, I will say I was a tad disappointed that we did not get Elden Ring DLC. I feel like mm-hmm. that was the thing that everyone was talking about. Um, although, although, like when Miyazaki accepted the Game of the Year award, he said that like they're not done with Elden Ring. So like he kind of said it. Yeah. I just wish I could have seen something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a bummer. But it's cool that FromSoft is like still making like. It would be very easy for them to hang their hat on Elden Ring and just make Elden Ring DLC packs forever in perpetuity. But it's cool to see them not sitting on their laurels and not just making another Dark Souls thing and instead pursuing like other stuff. Um, a note here that I made too is that 
there were so many games that they showed off at this show that were like multi-hyphenate garbage of like Jeff Keighley would get up there and be like, this next game is a massively multiplayer online shooter with survival mechanics and a robust crafting system. And it would, or like, he wouldn't even say that. You would see gameplay of a game and go, this looks cool. And then they would show the actual gameplay and it would look like Rust. So I don't know what has to change, but I'm tired of games that just look like Rust. We have to stop. We we have to stop this. Not every game needs a crafting system. Not every game needs to be a survival game. We have to stop this. Like, they showed off the trailer for the Dune game, Dune Awakening. Dune Awakening looks really cool. I'm a big Dune head. I like the idea of a Dune game. And then they reminded me that this is a massively multiplayer online survival game with crafting mechanics, and it's being developed by the people who made Conan Exiles, which is literally just a Rust clone. So this is just going to be a Dune Rust clone with pretty graphics. So I don't know, guys. Uh, Yeah, it's... That kind of game is not for me. It's not. I don't really care for it. Um, and it's funny. I feel like games go through these similar phases yeah. of certain styles are in vogue for X amount of years, much like fashion or music. And I think like we'll look back 20 years from now and like indie game with cute sprite graphics that is a metaphor for depression <laughs> will be a like thing that we can look back on and be like, that's what we were. That's the shit we were on in 2017. Yeah. Um, and then I think Last of Us likes and uh, Souls likes and these survival games will be another thing we look at. I think Hollow Knight clones and Breath of the Wild clones. Breath of the Wild will, clones, yeah. Oh my god, my Breath of the Genshin Wild Impact, clones. Yeah. Nathaniel, um, are there any other games that stuck out to you as like a as a novice video games video game awards watcher? No. Um... <laughs> Like, as I was watching it, there would be a world premiere, and I would be like, okay, this looks cool. I'm going to remember this one and bring it up and talk about it. But no, I don't remember any of the things. That's that's the thing. I was wondering about this. Like, how... I understand the desire to want your game. If you were making a game, it would be amazing to have it advertised at the Game Awards. Like, exposure... Yeah. But then, on the other hand, does will anyone actually fucking remember? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I saw that. I think it was Game Informer put like a nine-minute video on YouTube, and it was like, "Here's all the world premieres from the Game Awards." That's awesome. And so I yeah. think, like, I think like there's content like that that exists, and then also like people will share the clips on Twitter, and so. I think it just has to be like a huge net positive for the game devs, but in the moment, it like means nothing if you're not the biggest one, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think uh, the only other thing, I don't know, Tori, did anything else stick out to you? Any other, did you have any other notes of like, I, um, I will also say like full disclosure, <laughs> I went to bed when Crash Bandicoot came on stage. I, I watched like, I watched like a solid two hours of it. And I was like talking to a few friends of it on and off through it. And we had all popped back on. And I said to one of my friends, hey, it's 10 o'clock. That means there's a full hour of this left. 
And he went, are you kidding me? And I went, no. And then Crash Bandicoot came on stage and I went, I can't do it, guys. I'm going to bed. And so I didn't see anything live after that. But Oh, so I watched the whole thing live. Okay. So I did see the interruption. Yeah, the interruption. That came um, as Miyazaki was accepting his goatee. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, did you watch that part? I saw it and I was really confused. And so I rewound and I watched it multiple times. And then I watched a YouTube video about it. Yes. I uh, I don't really think this needs to have that much expo- more exposure than it's already gotten. For anybody who didn't watch it, a kid rushes on – he doesn't rush on stage. A kid, like, tucks in with the Elden Ring group. Like, Elden Ring wins Game of the Award. Hidetaka Miyazaki is like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to give a speech. And this, like, random kid kind of tucks in with the group and walks up with them and then takes the mic up on stage and says that he wants to nominate this award to his reformed Orthodox rabbi, Bill Clinton. And so, like, I'm going to be honest, given the state of the world right now, anytime anyone who, like, has not clocked themselves at the door as not having bad intentions makes a joke that involves Jews of any way, shape, or form, I'm yeah. going to assume it's anti-Semitic. It's a red flag. Like, it's, it's a, a red flag. Just, like, and it sucks that that's where the world's at right now, but, like, a kid comes on stage wearing Yeezys and makes a joke about a rabbi, I'm like... This is probably some kind of anti-Semitic dog whistle. Um, I gather it has since come out, thanks to some, like, guerrilla reporting that some people are kind of giving him shit for from Jason Schreier, that this kid is Israeli, but he's also, like, a huge InfoWars stan, and he's also 15. So it's, he's just, like, some right-wing 15-year-old teenager who, even if he was... I think the the only piece I want to say on this is I saw a bunch of people leap to, oh, he's Israeli, therefore this is not anti-Semitic. And I think it is a lot more complicated than that. I think given the state of affairs in the world, it's a lot more complicated than going, hey, I'm a Jew, but death to all Jews, am I right? You know, like, and that's not what the kid said, and I'm not saying that's what the kid said. But like normalizing constant jokes in any way, shape, or form that kind of make light of certain things, given the types of people who are paying attention to this kind of stuff. Like, it's a bit of a red flag. I think it's a lot more complex than people are kind of leading it with. Does anybody have any thoughts about this dumb kid? No, I was just really confused. And I feel like the live broadcast got cut, like, immediately. And so I just kind of sat there in silence yeah. with the TV off, and I was like, what? Well, I saw, and um, Keely said the kid was arrested, but the LAPD said he was not arrested. So. <laughs> yeah. Just, it, the one thing this does, okay, there's only one thing I really want to say about this. Yes. Was that um, a Polygon uh, interviewed him, mm-hmm. and they asked how he got in. He was like, yeah, I just bought a ticket, like a general public ticket. I'm beginning to wonder, like, should the Game Awards be that open to the public? Like, is the Oscars that open to the public? I don't think so, right? Is it? All all award shows have tickets that people can get and okay, buy. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty so, sure because so you'll dumbass. see you'll see like the theaters that they do it in will have like the first floor, which is where they put all the famous people, yeah. and then those theaters are really tall. Gotcha. And then there's like people in all the seats up there, and you'll also see like it's stuff like 
the Grammys, when they have artists perform, you'll see like magically now there's a crowd yeah, where there yeah. once were people sitting. And so there are definitely people that are at all these award shows. I don't think mm -hmm. I think that normal people shouldn't be able to go to these. I just think that there should be some kind of security in place so that like random people can't just like walk up on stage. I feel like that's asking for the bare fucking minimum at an award show. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree with that. Before I finished watching the whole Game Awards stream, I watched a video that was called something like the 2022 Game Awards in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. And it was like a minute long. And the joke was that God of War won every award. Mm -hmm. And then it got to the end and it was like, and the Game of the Year goes to, and then it said Bill Clinton. Yeah. And then it was a picture of Bill Clinton. And I was like, what is going on? And I was like, clearly this video is just a joke and has actually nothing to do with the Game Awards. So I'll just go back to that long ass video mm -hmm. and finish it. And then I was like, oh, look, a Bill Clinton mention. Yippee. Yeah. I don't know. It's stupid. It's stupid. I it's stupid as hell. Uh it would be it would be funnier if the kid was not tied up with info wars in so many different ways of all like it's just it's a mess and it's the kind of mess that I think a lot of people who only traffic in video games do not have the vernacular to properly deal with you know like it's but the, at the same time it's the type of mess that of course would happen yes yes at a exactly. cultural celebration of video games yes. you know what i mean like exactly it, this it, this wouldn't happen at the oscars this would happen at the game awards yes this and is true. like the way that they handle it just proves that like the production of the other major award shows is better than the game awards yeah. because yeah like, again could you imagine the, this happening at like <laughs> the grammys it could not but but like miyazaki is giving his speech right and then he wraps it up and then the music starts to play and this kid walks up to the mic and then they turn the music <laughs> back down right like that would not happen at another awards show they would blast that shit <laughs> they would blast it and then like a big cane would pull him off stage like they, that a would trap not door. stand yeah yeah <laughs> because they would know in advance who all is talking it would not be like oh it looks like someone from the elden ring dev team wants to say something like it's the same thing with like christopher judge's speech it felt so arbitrary when they started playing the music. It felt like by the time he hit like minute 12, they were like, maybe we should start playing some music. Like nobody knew how long he was going to go. And I think part of the benefit of the big award shows being so predictable is then it allows for someone to get up on stage and be like, hey, fuck Harvey Weinstein. Not that anybody has ever really said it in those in words that plain. But like it allows for moments that kind of like shock you that it's live and shock you that that was allowed to happen because they're kind of bucking it a little bit. But like when everything is just happening off the cuff at these awards and maybe it's not. I don't know. I, I don't know what the security team was doing behind the stage, but they clearly were not doing. They, it seems they were more worried. About, their jobs. Yes. It seems they were more worried about people coming in wearing like pro union stuff than they were about random kids coming up on stage. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Definitely, definitely shows the growing pains that the Game Awards uh, has to go through still to really be regarded on the same level of prestige as yes. a Grammys, which is a shame, or an Oscars, which is, which a, shame. is a shame. But I, th I will say a positive note I have about the Game Awards is that one benefit 
of this just being like one big jerk off session for how cool and connected Jeff Keighley is within the games industry is that he's apparently a big Muppets fan, and that's why the Muppets are always at the Game Awards. And I, I just love think, seeing Animal when I, he says Valenia. <laughs> yeah, love that. I love the Muppets, and I I just get such a fucking kick out of knowing that the prime audience for the Game Awards does not know who the Muppets are or give a shit. Or they might know who the Muppets are, but they don't give a shit about the Muppets. So I love the Muppets. Jeff Keighley, who's like this 45-year-old dad, being like, I love the Muppets. Can I borrow Animal? And then you've got all these like 14-year-olds watching so they can catch the latest trailer, and they're like, please shut the Muppet up. <laughs> so I love that a lot. Yeah, I would have loved to see the, the Twitch comment feed as Animal <laughs> came on. I... <laughs> My last note about the gaming awards is that, um, like Noah, you had talked about how the game awards is like um, the hub for Blazer with T-shirt under yeah. it. Yeah. And while there was not a lot of that, the fashion trend that I was noticing was a lot of sneakers with suits. Yeah. And mm. I don't, I'm not into that. Jeff Keeley was wearing like a black suit and then all white sneakers. And I like that looks horrible. Yeah. And there were other people who were wearing suits with sneakers that had white soles. And I just think that looks bad. I think you can do suit and sneakers in a tasteful way, but not if your sneakers are white. <laughs> well, yeah. Can... Or how one, I believe it's Rahul, I think it was one of the actors who's announcing the award came up in uh, a sweater with holes in it. And I yeah, was like, that was Rahul Coley. Yeah. It was I mean, like, he's dude. hot, but like, bro, minimum effort. Yeah. Like, please. Yeah. Dear God, wear, wear, wear a button down. For God's sake, wear a button down. We can rest easy, though, knowing that none of the fashion trends that showed up at the Game Awards are cutting edge, so we won't be seeing them anywhere else. That's true. <laughs> I think that's all we have about the Game Awards, unless anybody else has any final thoughts. Um, I want to hear what everybody's been playing, though. All right, I'll go first. You want to go first? first? I've been pl- I I've moved from one busted ass game to another incredibly busted ass game. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally beat Kingdom Hearts uh Final Mix. Nice. Uh, this past week. Um, and I, I I am reminded how in one of the last worlds in the first this is the first Kingdom Hearts game, mm-hmm. Nathaniel. Um, I don't know if you ever played those, but um, they're. I have not, but I've like been researching them because I'm thinking about about doing it. Oh, that's oh, awesome! Oh, please do, please do, please let me know how you feel about the plot. Um, but I, I I haven't played these games in a while, and I was just reminded how in like the second to last or third to last dungeon or world in Kingdom Hearts one, you are given the ability to fly like Peter Pan because you visit Peter Pan. Um. And like glide, and the gliding is so fucking wonky. And then you go through this like Final Fantasy ass, like seven boss gauntlet. And uh, three of those battles are flying battles where you have to like keep yourself in midair while pushing yourself forward closely enough to hit the boss. And it is very, it's just, it feels so wrong. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, when games feel bad to control yes like it feels bad it feels out of control and at least in my experience if i'm floating in midair trying to hurt a shirtless ansem who is attached to a boat because that's a boss that exists in this game um 
as soon as I would be done hitting him, I would fall because I was no longer having the my thumb on the button that ha- keeps you floating in the air. I had it on oh. the button that has you smacking him with the keyblade. Yeah. So it's just it just felt so wonky. Um, I'm glad I'm done with with this though. I I am reminded of how strenuous these uh boss gauntlets are. I was happy to be done with them. Um, but then. As as it goes, um, it's like it's a straight up like mental manipulation. I fucking hate the last boss gauntlets of Kingdom Hearts games. But then as soon as the final cutscene plays and I hear Utada Hikaru's simple and clean, yeah, the first thought that comes to my mind is I want to play the second one yep. immediately. <laughs> I it's really some brain worms. Yeah, like it it really is. It's like it's like. I feel like I'm Pavlov's dog and you just ring a little early 2000s J-pop and I'm like, ooh, another one. Yeah, yeah. I want to do another one. This fucking sucks, but let's do this. Let's let's do another one. Um, But overall, I I enjoy Kingdom Hearts. I I put it on my list of games I played this year and I gave it a 7 out of 10. Okay. So uh, better than Soul Hackers 2. Um, Damn, not a very very high bar, but... (laughs) Better than Soul Hackers 2... Love and nostalgia, love the world exploring, hate the boss battles. Yeah, is is my That's final fair. word on on Kingdom Hearts Final Mix. Um, and then I started playing a game that was even more broken. Um, that I received for my birthday three days ago. Yeah, happy birthday, Pokemon. By the way. Yeah, I'm 24, and I rang it in by playing Pokemon Violet, a game that Oof. um, I had to restart because it froze while I was catching a Pokemon. Um, so that kind of set the tone that happened within like the first 20 minutes of my playing. Shit. And I was like, uh oh. And then I was just like walking around as one does in these open world games. And I just started noticing that like in the distance, things looked pixelated, like kind mm. of like not rendered well. Um, I know you've you watched one of your friends play it, docked, and I was playing this docked. Yeah. There's something weird about what happens in the distance. I, I'm in the area where you go to school and I'm observing how um, you watch your classmates walk around campus from a distance and their legs, their movements look um, not fluid. Hmm. Like it looks very like deep, 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 like not very like joints moving and legs flowing. Like it looks almost polygonish and almost pixelated from a distance and um just some definitely some some frame rate issues and some freezing um i do enjoy this game yeah um it is a lot of fun i do like the new pokemon i'm just sad that this game wasn't allowed to bake for like two more months yeah you know like that's what it needed and the release, the tyranny of the release calendar. <laughs> the, the tyranny of a completely arbitrary release calendar that Game Freak has decided they have to adhere to when they absolutely do not have to adhere to it. But yeah, yeah, it's I think I said this on a previous episode when we talked about Pokemon, but it's very funny to me that every review of the game was like this busted ass game barely runs on the Nintendo Switch. But check out how cute these guys are. This game's awesome. So yeah. yeah, that's exactly how I feel though. It's it's like literally it runs like ass. Yeah. I don't understand how a game like this could run so badly. Um, especially on a console that has handled Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and like Breath of the Wild. 
Yeah. Although there there is that one area in Breath of the Wild near the Master Sword where it's a little buggy. But um yeah, I just don't understand how something like this could could be this bad. But also, I really enjoy it and it's really cute and like I get to choose from three different storylines in this game. Yeah. Um which is really cool and I have like a, there's like a plot and it's 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 nice. I have some questions for you, Tori. Yeah. Did you choose between Scarlet and Violet? No. Wow. Okay. What would you have chosen Violet? I don't know. I, I think yeah, because it just looked cooler. I so I, I prefer Pokemon games just based on which cover looks cooler. Mm-hmm. Me too. Oh yeah. So when I when my family was asking me what I wanted for my birthday, I put Pokemon Scarlet slash Violet and just kind of like let let them decide. And then my brother texted me an access code the day of my birthday, and then it was Pokemon Violet. And I was like, thanks, man. Yeah. Cool. And that it is what it is. Um, besides that, the only other thing I've been playing or watching, I actually I started watching Wednesday on Netflix. That is a very good show. I was very cons- I love Am's family. Okay. And I love Tim Burton. And but I was worried about the level of cringe. Um, in these advertisements, these girls, especially the werewolf girl, I it was giving me like they're trying really hard to appeal to the teens. Like the werewolf girl has mentioned TikTok in almost every single episode. That's awesome. I love that. Um, but it's actually really endearing. Like I like Wednesday's character a lot, and I love this take on the Adams family. And it's refreshing and it's fun. And you get to learn about how Morticia and Gomez were when they were teenagers. Hmm. And um, you get to see Wednesday kind of explore and come into her own apart from her family because she goes to a boarding school in this show. And it's campy and it's fun. and It's so Tim Burton. And the production value is very good. Like, it's very well produced. Um, So there are some cringy moments. Um... But I, I would say it's it's worth watching. And like Jesse, who is not into like campy stuff at all, really enjoys the show. Hmm. So hmm. I've been watching that that in the World Cup, as I've mentioned before. Um, so that's what I've been playing. Nice. Nathaniel, what do you got? OK, it's been a long time since I've been here. So I want to talk about a few things Please. before I talk about what I'm playing right now. Yeah. So. um I bought, because it was on sale for a lot of money off, the Tomb Raider trilogy, like the Xbox One games. And so that is Tomb Raider and then like Shadow of the Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider, I think. And so I played the first one, which is just called Tomb Raider. It came out in 2013. Yeah. And... um. It was fun. Like I had talked last time I was on here about how I had an itch left by um, Jedi Fallen Order that I needed to scratch. Mm -hmm. And Tomb Raider was cool. Like there's no lightsaber, obviously, and it's guns and bow and arrow. And I enjoyed it. But it was like I'm sure you guys can both relate to the idea of starting a game, liking it, and then being like, okay, now when am I when's the end of this game? And that's how I felt for most of it. Oh, wow. Um, It was also glitchy as fuck. And I don't know if that's because it came out so long ago and I'm running it on like a next-gen console. Um, But it was glitchy AF. Hmm. Um, Other than that, 
I had also talked about how I bought 2K and then returned it. Yeah, yeah. I bought it again. No. But it was on sale. It was on sale. This is a toxic relationship. (laughs) It is. Like, 2K, I love to play, but I will literally only play it when I'm alone in the house because I'm embarrassed if my girlfriend is in the room to sit there and play basketball video game. Yeah. And I don't know what – it's just. I think it's just because I hate it. And so I don't want to. I don't want her to watch me play it. It's my shame thing that I just do by myself. Man, and that's okay. That sucks. But um, okay. Um, the new Fortnite update. Whew, it's awesome. Is, is so good. It's so Fortnite. Good. It looks so good. It yeah. plays so good. All the guns are good. All the shit they added in is cool. It's the awesome. hammer is cool. The dirt bike is cool. They brought like the bow and arrows are, back. I, yeah. I just said this, but it looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, it probably looks even because you're playing it on a next gen console. I'm playing it on Switch, and it now takes a little longer to load on Switch, but it does look visibly better. And I kind of wondered, like, it kind of sounded like most of the visual improvements, like adding in this new lighting engine and stuff like that, were things that I wasn't really going to notice. But like, there's a visual, there's like a visible difference on Switch, even. Yeah. Like, it looks yeah. awesome. It really does. They you can tell they kind of like shifted the color palette away from like the bright green and the blue and the yeah. yellow to like orange. Yeah, there's so much orange in the game now, and I feel like it looks really cool. Um, and then other than that, I bought Nintendogs plus cats okay. on the Nintendo store for my 2DS because I have never played it and I wanted to play it. Can and I, I just was in... read out loud? It says, after losing multiple eBay auctions, <laughs> what are people <laughs> bidding for Nintendogs plus cats? Okay. Like really low, right? But I'm, I've like only ever bought stuff on ebay where it's like buy it now Mm. and so these people are just like out maneuvering me at the end of the auction (laughs) and i'm sitting there computer open page refreshing and i'm just getting got again and again and again and so they were going for like 12 13 bucks like including shipping all right that's good i was concerned the resale market for nintendogs is going to be like 200 dollars, and you're here in the trenches being like I won't make rent, but I'll get Nintendogs, like... No. Like, <laughs> if you want the case and the instruction manual, you're looking at, like, 30 to 50 bucks, probably. But I was Ooh. just I was just looking for a cartridge. Yeah. And so the bidding starts at 2 bucks, and then somebody wins it at $6, and then they add 6 for shipping. So do you have some kind of, like, deep nostalgia for the original Nintendogs that, like... I've never played it. Okay. Huh. What, what like, I've... what randomly compelled you to get this, then? It's like a game that I've thought about in the past mm-hmm. in in short bursts, and I was like, I wonder if I could get this on eBay for really cheap. <laughs> and then the answer was yes, but the answer was also no. <laughs> and so I just bought the digital copy, which was only 20 bucks. And so whatever, that's not a big deal. Also, like the, the DS store is going to close in March. Yeah. And so I, I kind of feel a pressure to buy stuff on that store because it'll go away and then I won't be able to, you know. But I still haven't played it because my girlfriend's just been playing it. Oh, okay. And so that's cool. Is she She's been enjoying it? it at some She is. At some point I'll play it. And then also I've been watching her play Unpacking. Mm. Um, which is funny because she just goes like iPad baby mode and just like sits with the Xbox controller in front of the TV mouth agape. <laughs> 
and just like stares into baby the TV. Mode. I just want to bring that what that bring that one up again. That tracks though because my yeah. my last experience playing video games with you and your girlfriend was I was at your house and she was playing Fortnite while we were doing something in the kitchen and she was like standing like a dad in front of the TV holding the controller and but she was like inches from it. And I was like, I've never, I've never seen somebody who was not like a fifty-year-old man do this. It was, it was like, a, no, she definitely, yeah, she definitely sits on the couch when she plays unpacking. Okay, but her mouth is open when she plays it, she's and really I think that's it. so funny. I love she's so her. sucked in. She's speaking so of standing, speaking of standing close to a TV, I had a very unsettling moment where I felt like I was becoming my father. Uh, when I was watching soccer a few days ago, when I was watching the U.S. and the worst they played, I got to a point where I was standing in front of the TV with my arms crossed, <laughs> and I I looked down at my body and I was like, "This is a this is a Manny Dominguez move. What yeah. I need to sit the fuck down. This this is unsettling to say the least." You're becoming like a, an older Cuban dad who's really invested in in soccer. <laughs> That's good. Not just arm cross, but neck forward. Just like, just like, yeah. The more angry you get, the higher the elbows get. You know, like it's like. <laughs> Is Angie having fun playing? Un- are 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 you? You're watching her play unpacking. Are you finding that it's like a fun spectator sport? Because like Christine and I did this for a little bit too. Like she, I, we were like passing the controller back and forth playing. Um, we never beat it. She was but... really enjoying it, and then it got. It seems like it got pretty hard pretty quickly, and so I yeah. don't know. Um, I do think it's fun to watch, but more like I saw this tiktok recently that was like resisting the urge to criticize people because they are not doing stuff the way i would do it and i was like wow that's so real and that's me watching her plan packing is it's an exercise for both of us where she gets to play the game and i get to sit there and be like let me not let me not have any any tips any criticism so i'm just like let's go you put that there go crazy i love that I've really been wanting to play Red Dead 2 because I got really into Red Dead 2 online when that game came out, but I never played the story mode. And so it was really on sale on the Xbox store, so I bought it, and I bought the first one too. And so I've just been playing the story mode for the first one. And that game is fun. And and that game looks really fucking good for coming out in, I think, 2010 or 11. It looks really good. I remember I got Red Dead... When Red Dead 1 came out on the PS3, my dad rented it, but he rented it like my parents are divorced. They divorced when I was a kid, so they had shared custody of us when we were growing up. So like my dad rented it like on a day where I was only going to be there for like 24 hours. And then he was going to get to just be alone with Red Dead for the rest of the rental period. And I remember he told me afterwards that he didn't play any of the story. He just played Red Dead online. And like got a sniper rifle, hid on top of a mountain, and just like trolled people, basically. Which is like that's some real Jerry Hurts ass shit to be doing online. But uh, he was like, yeah, it was so much fun. I would just like hide up on a mountain and snipe people and listen to them scream into their mics. And I was like, wow, okay. But like I've never really like I tried to play a little bit of the story of Red Dead One, but I kept feeling that pull of just like wanting to go online and fuck with people. So I, I am curious to hear like whether you think the story still holds up because I think that's like that early wave of the PlayStation like quote unquote prestige experience. Yeah, games, I've you beaten know? that story mode before. Like my I never really played Red Dead 
one online. My thing was just like, how many animals can I kill and skin and sell? And it was just like, how much money can I yeah. make in this game to buy the clothes and the fancy guns? But it's cool so far. Huh. Um, and then since you guys are talking about stuff you're watching, I'm watching The Sopranos for the first time. I'm in season two. Ooh, okay. It's pretty good. Noah knows that in the summer of 2021, 20, I just went through a big phase where I pretended that I was Italian online. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh we remember that was great yeah was i said summer but it was thing. like a way longer period than just the summer it was a it was longer than it was a very long period where you would just post stuff you would post like those growing up italian yeah. memes on your instagram story oh my yeah. god was that like a social experiment of yours like was there is there i just thought it was so funny i think italians are so funny and so i remember i had i had publicly posed the question in 2021 of could i watch the sopranos as a joke and people told me no because it's too good. And they're right. It's fucking good. It's It can't be a meme yeah. because it's too good. Damn. I don't really know much about The Sopranos other than that like it's an HBO show and it's good. And But I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's still good. I, I feel like that's like the most cold take to have imaginable that The Sopranos is a good TV show. But The Sopranos is like therapy good. Like that's the thesis. Uh-huh. Cool. And so, like, that's cool because, like, people look at The Sopranos and they think, like, that it's a show about the mob. But it's, like, just a show about a dude going to therapy. And, like, that's raw AF. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're digging that. I'm glad that you've overcome your, uh, your prejudice against Italians enough to be able to enjoy this show. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way about, like, British people generally. So it's fine. Not, like, yeah, if, if you're a when... listener and you're British or Italian, don't sweat it. But, like, I... Yeah, Jesse has a whole thing. He read somewhere that apparently, like, the British accent wasn't like developed until like a couple hundred years ago. Huh. And so Jesse's entire stick is that British people are fake, <laughs> and like every time he sees British people, he's like, "That's not fucking real." Yeah, it's like, like the Stevie they, Wonder can see conspiracy. It's like it's just yeah. out there enough that it's it's kind of fun. All right, his history is that the British accent was invented to just make themselves sound cooler compared to us. Ah. And uh, that they, they, they like turn it off when they're at home, you know? Like yeah. It's all, it's all a ruse. I had, so. I had not been on the growing up Italian Instagram in a long time. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that, when I was looking over the groups right before the World Cup started and I saw that Italy had not made the World Cup, I was like, let me go on there and see if there's any cope content. And there oh. is. And it is so good. It's, it's them, I need to look this up. It's them being like, yeah, maybe we didn't make the World Cup, but don't forget who won it in 2006. Oh, okay, yeah. 2006! <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need to see some of that. When we log off tonight, maybe I'll go see some British cope content. Yeah. After yeah. they just got eliminated by France. Yeah. Um, when England loses, the world wins. There, that's, that's true. true. That's true. That's, that's, I will that's say, a fact. in a battle between England and France, nobody wins. Like, nobody wins there. But I think, ideally, France, I know France won that game that earlier mm -hmm. today from when we were recording this, which means it is possible that Morocco and France could be pitched up against each other in the finals, yeah. which is awesome. No, they're going to play next in the semis. Oh, that's great. That's excellent. That's so good. I love that. I love that a lot. Yeah, we love to see it. Noah, what what is going on here? What what have you been playing? So, you know, this was the week when I was like, 
we got a big enough gap between when we recorded our last episode and when we recorded this episode that like I could dive into something new. Like I could I could maybe dive back into Elden Ring. I could I could uh play some more Road Warden. I could really dive into something that like is time consuming and all this and uh work has been kind of crazy the way work always is and all this stuff. I did mess with Elden Ring a little bit. I kind of like made a new character and didn't really do anything with them, but like a faith-based, cool. like faith strength-based character. And I was like, this is just something maybe I'll mess with in the background periodically. <laughs> what I did do though, is I finally rolled credits on Dragon Ball Z Attack of the Saiyans for the Nintendo DS. I went back to it, baby. <laughs> I love this for you. <laughs> I put it down, but I'm back. <laughs> I put 20 hours into this Dragon Ball Z DS RPG. If you didn't hear uh, the past episode where I talked about this, like 80% of the Dragon Ball Z games that have come out since like 2005 onward have been fighting games. But there's this fun, which like fucking obviously, it's fun to play as Goku and to punch Vegeta. That's like, there's like something innate in our brains that is like, I want to play as the big buff guy and press the square button and make him punch the other big buff guy. Uh but there's a fun kind of strand of these games, especially on handheld consoles like the Game Boy and the DS that are like a little they, they have to be a little more creative with it because they can't have like the high fidelity console style fighting game graphics. So like there's some isometric action Zelda-esque games on the Game Boy Advance that are Dragon Ball. And there is this turn-based RPG on the, the DS called Dragon Ball Z Attack of the Saiyans. It pulls inspirations from like chrono trigger and paper mario and all kinds of like really big hitters in the jrpg space in a lot of ways that are really interesting in the same way that in chrono trigger you can have like two characters do special abilities that by themselves would do one thing and then they fuse together and do something different when two people use them it's like the same system it's like if you do a a Kamehameha wave with Goku and a special ability with Piccolo, it creates a new special ability. Or like it has the Paper Mario thing where you if you press the button tethered to your character just before they get hit, that'll reserve some damage. And it's it's very interesting how many games this is pulling stuff from. And the result is like a very video game ass video game. I'm looking at a list of the uh, 10 best Dragon Ball RPGs ranked. Yeah. And this one, number two on the list I'm looking at. There was like a common misnomer. I think even when this game first came out, it was advertised as like the very first Dragon Ball JRPG, which is bullshit. Like there's like four of them on the Super Nintendo alone. But um, I, I put it down. I kind of decided like I think I've seen everything that this Dragon Ball Z RPG can give me. But I was like really compelled to get to the end because rather than most Dragon Ball games have this problem of they want to tell the story from start to finish, which is like understandable because you don't want to drop off in the middle and then leave people like, well, this game sucks and only told half the story. This game came out corresponding with a re-release of the original Dragon Ball Z anime called Dragon Ball Kai. And the idea was that they were going to re-release Dragon Ball Z with like slightly updated, like pretty fied remastered animation. And also they were going to cut out a lot of the filler content, which it sounds like that was kind of to mix success. I've never watched Kai, but like people have some serious issues with it. 
including the fact that it was broadcast on a Nickelodeon affiliate initially in the US. Yes, so it's still it was. like it's still like just as censored as the original version is, which is like one of the things they said it wouldn't be. So this game starts towards the end of the original Dragon Ball and then runs the final boss is like the confrontation between Goku and Vegeta at the end of the very first story arc of Dragon Ball Z. And I got to say it was fun as hell. It in a in a very strange way it has like the Final Fantasy 7 problem of like you know you know like you have Aerith in your party and you can like really build her up as a party member and get attached to her and then she dies for story reasons and then you have to move on without Aerith. I kind of like forgot that there are characters in your party who like canonically die before the final boss. And so I'm like, I'm throwing all these cool abilities on Yamcha and I'm like, fuck yeah, my boy Yamcha. And then he gets toasted before you get to the final boss fight and you can't use him in the final boss fight. <laughs> so it's, it was a very interesting game. Um, of all of the JRPGs I have at my disposal, I'm not sure why this one in particular really just, like, kept calling to me. Yeah, I but... love that you, you went gung-ho on this when you have Final Fantasy VII Remake and Shimigami Tensei V. Yes, You're yes. like, hold up, let me, let, me, let me complete this one, though. Something about it, though, like, handheld consoles like the DS, and I've said the same about the PSP, are just so perfect for JRPGs. Like, it is such a good pick-up-and-play experience, and especially since so many of those games were crafted with the idea that you were going to, like, flip open your DS and play for an hour and then just put it back down, or 20 minutes even. Like, with a really hectic work schedule the last couple of weeks, it's been very nice to just be like, I'm going to pick up my Dragon Ball game and grind for a few. But I think... uh the only other thing that was like particularly notable about this game is that it was very it was very cognizant of the fact that like you can use JRPG mechanics as storytelling beats as well in a way that like I think a lot of lesser RPGs fail to do. Like Goku is the strongest guy in the world and Goku becomes very easily the strongest character in your party and the game uses that to kind of like show you that in comparison to some of your other party members it's very easy to become reliant on goku and then they will take him away and granted this is not like story beats the game invented this is story beats that come from source material but it created this like really kind of interesting and fun dynamic of like oh cool i get goku for a little bit which means that the enemies are going to be stronger and i'm gonna like actually have some time to kind of pull the other guys up exp wise versus like now goku's gone and I have to like really be careful about strategizing in a way that I wasn't when he was there. So it was a fun game. I'm I'm glad I played it to completion. I'm not sure if the final boss fight was like as fun as I was hoping it was going to be. And this is like immensely dialogue heavy for a game that is ostensibly about a show where people punch each other and scream. Like there was so much fucking text in this game to a point where I started just skipping it, which I don't normally do in RPGs. But yeah, that's Dragon Ball Z Attack of the Saiyans. It was uh, it was pretty good. Nathaniel, talking about weird DS deep cuts we picked up. Great, well, Nintendo is not a deep cut. Neither is this. I randomly just picked up Kirby Squeak Squad for the DS just recently. It's a good game. Uh, I, I feel less of a compulsion to purchase games on the DS store because like the modding scene for the 3DS is so good. And I know that's like kind of taboo, but like, I have a DS emulator on my 3DS so I can play DS games. And so when I beat Attack of the Saiyans, I was like, what are some other DS games? And so I downloaded a few 
but I realized that like Kirby Squeak Squad is a Kirby game on the DS that I've never played. And I was really into the GBA Kirby games when I was growing up. So that's like the Amazing Mirror. And then I think Nightmare in Dreamland was the other big one. And Squeak Squad was like, it was a DS Kirby game, but it looks just like the Game Boy Advance one. So it's like there was not really much update in the graphic department. And it got kind of panned for that when it came out. Like people still liked it. And it's good. It's a Kirby game. And it's a... It's another very good turn my brain off and play a level of Kirby where I'm just like finding treasure chests and sucking up bad guys and that kind of thing. So that's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying that a lot. Uh, in the vein of watching things, I'm also still trucking through Andor on Disney+. Plus. I've got just a couple episodes of this left. Nathaniel, you haven't started watching Andor, have you? No. Uh, if your hesitation to start Andor has to do with the fact that like other Disney Plus Star Wars shows have not grabbed you, I I would recommend giving this one a try because I think it would appeal to you. But yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I got like three episodes left of the first season. So I think I'm just not feeling very Star Wars because I, yeah. I haven't even tried the only Disney Plus Star Wars show I've tried is The Mandalorian, yeah. which I liked but didn't like enough to finish. And I think I'm someone historically who picks things up and then gets tired of them for the slightest reason and then is just yeah. okay with putting them down forever. But I have just seen so much stuff about Andor online and from my friends who are watching it that at some point I have to watch it. Do I have to watch any other Disney Plus Star Wars shows before I watch Andor? No. No, and that's the beauty of it is that like the Mandalorian has become so connected to other things. Like the the Mandalorian is being teed up to be like the MCU of Star Wars in a really frustrating way. In a way that is like it's frustrating and it's also like from a fan service perspective kind of cool, but it's also like revolving around characters that like the higher ups who were doing this just like really, really love. And so, well, we got to put Ahsoka in everything because I'm Dave Filoni and I created her and I love her. But uh, no shade to Ahsoka. She's a super interesting character. But like, uh, but yes, the beauty of Andor is that it is, it is not connected to any of the other shows. I, I told Tori like last week when we were recording that I actually held out starting it because I was really afraid that the finale of the show was going to like somehow tie into the Obi-Wan show or something like that, but it did not. It's totally standalone. It has night and day tone compared to something like The Mandalorian to a point where I, th I think you would really enjoy it. That's just because you're only halfway through and you haven't gotten to the episode where Liam Neeson as Kwai Kon Jin enters That's true. the arena. That's true, yeah. I, f I forgot about that. Yeah, apparently uh, in the finale, Liam Neeson as Kwai Kon Jin shows up. But it's, I guess it would have to be his ghost because it takes place in between episodes three and four the way almost every other piece of Star Wars material does. So, <laughs> which let me just say. It feels very bleak watching any kind of Star Wars material that takes place in between that era. Not just because, like, you know, the Empire, fascism, uh, overbearing government, evil, that kind of thing, but also because canonically in this world they've created, after the good guys win at the end of episode six, things are only good for, like, a few years and then immediately become bad again when just the next version of the Empire takes back over. So it's, it's really kind of upsetting to think about it for more than a few minutes. Star Wars down horrendous. Yes, absolutely.
I think that's it for me though. Um, that's kind of that's where we're at. Anybody else last minute shout outs to things, or should we just tell people where they can find us on the internet? Yeah, I think I think I'm ready to tell people where to find me on the internet. Please you can find me at Twitter. Unfortunately, forever I guess at Tori underscore as underscore always. Nathaniel, where are you at? You can find me on Twitter.com at Nathan Based. I'm still on Twitter as well. Noah underscore Hertz spelled H-U-R-T-S. The show is on Twitter, press underscore start pod. We're also on Tumblr, press hyphen start pod, but we don't update it the same way or like as regularly. So keep that in mind. But maybe we will. Who knows? Get it on the ground floor. Uh, you can email us your thoughts about the new Fortnite season or which Star Wars video game appeals to you at heypressstart at gmail.com. All of our show music at the intro outro is from the artist Geist. You can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. Our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. Our news is sourced by us, and I produce the show. And I think that's everything we need to shout out. Anybody got any uh, closing thoughts here? Video games, game awards? Nathaniel, you're, you're hovering up to the mic. What do you got? Feel free also to send any Bill Clinton conspiracy theory emails that are not in any way anti-Semitic. Please. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can send conspiracy theories as long as they're not anti-Semitic to our email. Even though most conspiracy theories, if you scratch them long enough, become anti-Semitic. Yeah. <laughs> level, it's unfortunate. Level impossible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I the only non-problematic conspiracy theory I've heard is like the king, the, the, the queen killing Diana. And that's like the least problematic one I've heard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel like if you- There's no anti-Semitism in that one. That's true. That's true. The queen just probably did. Who knows? I don't know yeah. enough about that conspiracy theory to have an opinion one way or another, so- I yeah. just hate the monarchy, so yeah, fuck, fuck yeah, them. Yeah, it's like bet. Yeah, I'm sure she did. <laughs> I think that's all we got. Thank you for listening. Go play some video games. Take care. <laughs>